Hi, and welcome to PIM Talk, the product marketing podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Schöberg, and this will be a special episode, a live episode from Pimpoint Americas. If you want to know more about what PIM is, you can go back and listen to our first episode, What is PIM? But let's continue. Let's talk about PIM. Welcome to Pim Talk, the product marketing podcast today, live from Chicago and Pinpoint Americas, the only Pim podcast in the world. Let's hit it. All right, everyone. This is actually for uh, for Karen. So after the last pinpoint last year, you know, we did this again. We didn't do the remix version. We did the other one. And New Balance reached out afterwards and asked me, could we use the theme song for our internal meetings? So, now you have a version to use This is a new version. The afterword yes. as well. <laughs> I need oxygen. I need oxygen. You know my, I'm really Some not in shape for this, but hopefully you know I will, will last. It's a salsa night plan for Thursday, so it's going to be interesting and all of that. So, welcome to this live version of PIM Talk. PIM Talk, as I say, is actually the only PIM podcast in the world. We have been done doing this for more than a year. So there is actually 35 episodes out there that you can listen to, covering everything from you know, the challenges as a retailer if you have many suppliers, or talking about how to work with him and Dan, how to work with translations. We actually had four different translation agencies in one episode, battling it out in five rounds about who's the best and the brightest. So we have Nick from translations.com here somewhere. Did you win? Oh, he's not here. I think he won. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that can be interesting for you. And also, the reason we're doing this is that, you know, the benefit of being here at Pinpoint is the community. Here we meet us from InRiver, the partners, the customers, industry experts I'm going to introduce you soon. And, and that's what we want to do not only once a year. We want to do that every second week and every time we meet you guys. So please tune in to PIM Talk, available on iTunes, Spotify, and all other platforms. You can find it on our website and on www.pimtalk.com. So that was that. And if you want to be on the show, I'm very open for suggestions. So grab me, and we can make it happen. We actually did a recording yesterday with a partner, and it's live now, so it was launched this day. So it, you know, we, uh, we move fast also in the podcast business. Today, I'm joined by Dan O'Connor from AWARE. Uh, you are the, let's see, the head of product data practice at AWARE, soon to be Verindale, right? Correct. You know Karen, she did a great job here a while ago. Uh, still the senior product manager yep. and the PIM queen of New Balance, right? <laughs> I share have, the crown. <laughs> and then we have this guy, Mark White from Content26. 
I'm gonna, you're my Amazon guy. You, you, I'm your Amazon boy, yeah? Yeah, exactly. And we're gonna talk about, you can see it here, how B2B manufacturers are preparing and thinking like B2C marketers. And I want to start with the question, well, how did they think before? So, Karen, I mean, you've been in, in the mix of B2B and B2C for a long time. For, for a very long time, B2B was about cycles and timing and seasons and you build that big, big, thick catalog of paper that went around with the salespeople and that was it. That was your calling card and you would give that out. Whether the data was all correct in it, whether the data was um, up to date, whether it was the best data that you could give to your customers, you had one opportunity to put that book together. Yeah. So Dan, do you have any reflections around that? Well, so what ends up happening in that kind of workplace is that whoever's catalog on top wins, and then they make the call to whoever they're purchasing from, and they find out their price at that point. Um, that's changed an awful lot because now, because of the systems that they're using to mimic what B2C is doing, they could show a live price and somebody can price shop to be able to determine if they're getting the best deal. So it's no longer whose catalog is on top that is getting the business, it's whose website they're going to the most often, how exactly they're engaging with that website, and they're stripping the salesperson out of that uh, endeavor um, more to be a, we're gonna have that e-commerce experience that's similar to what we would purchase our regular uh, products that we use at home. Um, so it's shifted an awful lot over the last few years because the millennials that are going into these purchasing roles, the people that are working in these companies are more used to those e-commerce types experiences than buying stuff out of catalogs. Okay, great. We're gonna talk more later, so I'm gonna go directly to Karen <laughs> sure. again. So, I mean. Not offended. Not offended, oh, great. <laughs> so, um, I mean, creating content for B2B customers and B2C customers, I know that you do both. So, what does that look like and what, what are the challenges around that? We do. We do have to market differently to our B2B customers and to our B2C customers. Our B2B customers, though, are looking to us to help them market to their B2C customers as well. So it's taking that not just why should you buy a bulk amount of our products, but then how can we help you sell those products to your customers in a unique experience? What's the selling proposition for you to make to your customers as well as what's the selling proposition that we're making to them? So we market both to B2B and to B2C, but we also have to take B2B to the next level and it's almost like B2B2C. Yeah, and what are some practical examples of how you do fine tuning in your content to, to suit both B2C and B2B? So, uh, you know, a typical, a very easy example is something that's on our website we might refer to as the 997. But when we market it to a customer, we're talking about the New Balance 997. So just putting our brand name into the copy for a B2B because they need to have that piece. Where we don't, you're on our website, we know, you know we're selling our New Balance brand. Our brand is all over our website, but we need that in the copy for our customers. So just something that simple as first person versus third person. Yeah, that's one thing. And I mean, imagine then when you need to syndicate this out to all these different marketplaces and, and resellers, and you have to do some of that in, in all of those cases as well. So exactly. it's a huge undertaking. 
But the interesting part about that is that the systems that you use to manage that are the same systems. Yes. Uh, okay, you don't need a separate set of technology to be able to market to B2B, and the majority of your data outside of that marketing copy, length is length is length whether, wherever, whoever you're selling it to. Yep. Um, you're just going to target and personalize that data at the presentation level. But all those other elements remain the same. So you don't have to collect data differently for a B2B versus a B2C customer. You just have to make sure you're targeting it in the appropriate areas. It's also a timing issue, too, because we're selling to our B2Bs earlier than we're selling to our consumers directly. So we've, with the, you know, with the advent of PIM, we've started to look at our cycles, and we were touching each product twice. We were writing our B2B copy, and then we were writing our B2C copy later. Now we're writing them both at the same time, and we're seeing them side by side so we can make sure that the message is consistent. And it's great to have you down here on the show. You probably know him from episode 33 of PIM Talk when he talks about the ROI <laughs> story, but otherwise, you know, Dan has a background at Target and also as a colleague of ours at InRiver and now at Aware, so you have a kind of a unique perspective. And I'm a little bit interested in how, you know, when you were at the Target, what was the challenges on that side, on the retailer side, when it comes to all the, the data that you got from, from the different manufacturers and so on? Well, the biggest problem was wrangling the data. And uh, when we're talking about wrangling the data, uh, we're talking content, we're talking assets, we're talking logistics, we're talking all of the data around product. And the, the definition of what is product data stretches when you're trying to uh, manage that across hundreds to potentially thousands of vendors. So we had teams that had to manage that activity because it wasn't as simple as we could have a system that would just manage it all because every single vendor is going to provide you data in a different format. There is no standard format except outside of Excel for people to transfer data that just allows you to input that data easily. So where you're talking about timing, we had timing issues at Target as well because we had to be able to make sure that we had the location in the warehouse available to be able to store it. That goes to uh, location planning and supply chain. We had to make sure we had the marketing copyright so that we could present it at the appropriate time that we wanted to sell the product. And we had to have all of the assets ready to be able to disseminate that it could be assets that were provided or assets that we shot right. based off of whatever the need was for that particular product. So where you're talking about uh, the challenges that you had, our challenges at Target were mirrored to that, but we had thousands of vendors to do it for, as opposed to you have to push that data out to hundreds of potential uh, retailers. Right. You're listening to PIM Talk, the product marketing podcast. And after this short break, we're going to go back to Pinpoint Americas and Pinpoint Live. PIM stands for Product Information Management, and InRiver stands for PIM. Want to learn more about how your organization can benefit from PIM software? We've put together a free white paper where you can learn what you need to know about how your e-commerce platform can benefit from PIM. Go to www.pimtalk.com to download a free guide to help you better understand how PIM can work for you. That's www.pimtalk.com. Hi, Mark. Hey, 
Hey there, how are you doing? I'm good. I haven't forgotten Your about turn. you. So, I mean, um, you help companies to succeed in selling and marketing uh, at Amazon. So, how do you become an Amazon export? How did you get into this field? Well, actually, Amazon hired us in uh, early 2000s building out categories. So, we, we were instrumental in building out many of the categories on Amazon on the content side. So, back to your question about what did it used to look like. Our early jobs from about 2004 to 2007 was literally to scrape the web for attributes and convert those attributes into sentences so that customers could look on, online on Amazon and, and understand what this camera does or doesn't do. The brands back between 2004 and 2010 didn't really care much about Amazon except outside of media, books, and DVDs, that sort of thing. Um, as Amazon was expanding into hard goods, they needed the content. And the first generation of content was either us scraping or brands literally taking pictures with early, you know, early iPhones or early digital cameras of the packaging, cropping them and putting the packaging online. And we all know how that turned out. Yeah. So, I mean, now it, it's not just B2C companies that sells on Amazon. It's grown a lot yeah. with B2B the last year. So could you say something about that, how, how manufacturers now start to work more with platforms like Amazon and Alibaba and so on? Well, it's, I mean, Amazon's taking over the world. So you can either, you know... Not Sweden. They are not in Sweden yet. So. <laughs> no, they're taking over North America. I mean, I think the regulators in Europe are going to keep them at arm's length. But there doesn't seem to be any, any push of regulation here. So they've gone from, you know, in four years they have a $10 billion B2B uh, uh, business. Primarily because they sell everything. A lot of companies had Amazon accounts already dispersed throughout the workforce, so Amazon said, let's just combine it into one account and give the, you know, the uh, procurement some more visibility. And also, we heard earlier that some of the procurement people and some of the buying agents and sellers are you know, millennials. They don't want to get on the phone and, and order, so they want to use their experience. They want to go on Amazon, the experience that they understand, and do all that work, so Amazon's leveraging that in a big way. Okay. So, Karen, how important is Amazon for, for you? Amazon's important. We're in North America, so Amazon's important. Um, we are global, but you know we do look at who our key accounts are. Amazon, obviously, is one of our key accounts. We don't sell on Amazon. We sell to Amazon, yeah. so we don't use Seller Central. We use Vendor Central, which is a very different tool, yeah. and um, we need to make sure that the templates are up to date, the templates are right, um, Syndicate is going to help us a lot with that. That's going to be our actual first win. You're starting win. to be a champion in the field. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have spent some time together yep. there, so yeah. Uh, you know, stay tuned for the next presentation, yeah, um, but so. Syndicate um, to Amazon is going to be our first big win. Yeah. So I'm interested, uh, you guys in the crowd, how many of you work with Amazon Vendor Central? Raise a hand. Quite many. Is there anyone here that works with Amazon Seller Central? Not that many. Yeah, that's pretty much the picture uh, that I've seen as well. Even if I, you know, I read up a bit on it that you know the Vendor Central might not be as user friendly as the Seller Central. I don't know. Do you know anything about that, Mark? Yeah. So there's different tool sets. Seller Central has different sets of analytics than Vendor Central does. Vendor Central has perks that Seller Central does. The news on the street, and it's been this news for seven years, is they are going to combine the um, platforms. But, the, but the, you know, those, those are all the technical details, and that they're important. But really, the, the important thing about Amazon is um, what I feel the important thing about Amazon is its reach. So, in any, you know, any given URL for your product, you will probably exceed the traffic on your .com 
um, that you get in a year, you'll see that Amazon traffic in a week or a month, depending on your category. Um, you know, driving ads on Amazon, just let me share a couple numbers to talk about the reach that you can get in front of your customers. Even if Amazon is not your primary selling channel, just as a marketing halo effect. So we have a couple of clients that we manage ad spend. This is a very small ad spend client that started with us at $50,000 a year, now spends about 200,000, 300,000. At the 160,000 level in a year, uh, they were able to generate a 1.2 million sales out of that uh, spend, 160K spend. Not all of it was incremental. Some of it they would have gotten anyway, which is important. Um, but they were able to generate for their very small business about a five to seven million revenue business on Amazon, 28 million impressions, and about 180,000 visitors to these product pages with that 160,000 spend. So you can kind of do the math on that. A larger spend company, uh, enterprise level, 20 million. One of their brands, I don't have the breakout for their spend, one of their brands, um, out of that 20 million annual spend, they were able to generate in a year 137 million impressions and generate 12 million in sales through their ad spend. I'm not advertising Amazon advertising because I think you need to do it. I'm advertising the reach and the, uh, and the kind of the halo effect that you can bring to the table by uh, doing Amazon right. Yeah. So Dan, I mean, you're helping a lot of customers with their PIM solutions and so on. And I mean, it must be a big transition for a B2B customer to create all of that content that to, uh, yeah, for the product experience and all of that. So, so what is that? So the, the challenge is that um, a lot of the work that's done before they have a PIM tool is all done in Excel. Uh, and when you're living in Excel, you're replicating uh, data collection multiple times, which means you're engaging teams throughout the enterprise multiple times just to be able to collect the data multiple times that you're really collecting the same data. It's going to come in different formats. It's going to come with different spellings. It's going to be inconsistent. So uh, before the PIM tool, you're doing all of that work. Adding on another channel to that work, like an Amazon or a Walmart or a Target, somebody big like that, is going to be a multiple of that work because you're recollecting all of that data again. The, the big thing to understand is that, and Karen, I'm pretty sure you'll attest to this, that if you're already collecting for a B2C client, the incremental work that you have to do to be able to sell B2B is minor. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think we because agree with of that, that <laughs> the, the tool that you're using to aggregate that data becomes more important because reducing the redundancy in either B2C or B2B comes through not having to work through the enterprise in the Excel spreadsheets to be able to collect data multiple times. It goes to data quality, data consistency, data accuracy. All of those uh, become greatly improved. Then it doesn't matter the channel as much. It's great to be able to sell to Amazon, but if you already have the data to be able to uh, say that you've consolidated and aggregated into a single tool, it's much less of an incremental ask to be able to say, now I want to go to next channel. And that's why this is important to understand that the systems don't have to change to be able to do this if you're using a PIM system to, you have to choose whether you're going to be B2B or B2C. You just need to make the, have the understanding that the majority of the data just needs to be personalized to the channel that you're going to send it to. So Karen, what kind of merchandising do you do today? And if you see a few years in the future, do you see that you would do more that you, you're not doing today? Well, I think PIM is going to give us uh, speed. 
And that's one of the biggest things that we're going to be able to bring to this is we're going to be able to test different copy, test different um, ideas, and really be able to compare them one to one and, and see how they work for us, start evolving that copy, start evolving the different um, data points that we're going to put out there, playing with filters and how our, our customers search on our site carrying that over to our B2B site as well, and vice versa, carrying lessons from our B2B site over to our B2C site. And Mark, is there any rules about marketing content that you think you should be aware of? Yeah, the rule, there is no single good piece of content as a rule that to aspire to. It really depends on a lot of factors, the brand, how strong your brand presence is, the complexity of the product, the price point. We have kind of a category, a matrix that we put together for uh, creating content, EISS, entertainment. Your, your customer needs to be entertained. You can't have dry copy. Informate, informative. EI, the uh, informative piece. That's where you talk about like where's the, where the source of your uh, food's coming from, the value proposition your company comes to do. If bad information leads to bad returns, leads to bad user reviews. You could have a great product and have bad user reviews, it's gonna cost you millions of dollars because of bad information. Sensory, if it's a sensor, it's very sensual, brakes pads don't seem sensual, but if you have an old, outdated, low DPI picture of your brake pad, that's not going to give much uh, confidence to the buyer. You want to see a high-resolution close-up of that, the steel and the alloy that goes into that product um, in order to really sell that. It has to be sensory. And then a social, there's something called, we call social presence. Consumers have to feel like they're communicating with a human. So kind of ESL-level English doesn't really work. Uh, machine learning English doesn't work. It has to be vernacular English and conversational tone that gets your point across, just like you are at a, at a, at a um, what is it called, a frick, a flick? Oh, not what, in Sweden. What? I don't know what we call it, but thank you very much. <laughs> the so, conversation stick. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, thank you for being on the show, Dan, Karen, and Mark. And, you know, the, 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 the beauty of doing a podcast is actually that it, it can go on and on and on. You know, the most uh, popular podcasts in Sweden are like uh, 80 minutes or so. So, uh, PIM Talk is usually around half an hour, maybe 40 minutes sometimes. So, I hope you tune in. Look for PIM Talk. Uh, on your mobile phone, in your podcast app, your Spotify app. You can do it now, it's fine, I want, you know. Uh, and uh, yeah, see you around. That was all. If we take a look at upcoming events, on October 10th, we're going to be at the Internet Retailing Conference in London. And on October 22nd, we're going to have an event with our partner Degree about the future customer experience in B2B e-commerce. And that's a Norwegian event in Oslo, Norway. And on November 13th in London, UK, we have an event with Trisense and Translation.com. That's an exclusive networking dinner. And if we look in the future, look at April 1st and 2nd, then we have the big Pinpoint Summit 2020, the largest product information management event in the world. So hope to see you there. Also, courses, if you want to learn about InRiver and IPMC, upcoming trainings, we have a business consultant certification training in Amsterdam, October 23rd, 24th. Uh, we have a business consultant training in Chicago and also a developer certification on October 1st and 2nd and December 3rd and 4th. We also have in Malmö a developer certification on November 20th, 21st. Might be a business consultant training 
them as well. We have a print consultant training October 8th in Malmö as well. And also besides that, we have user trainings in uh, Stockholm, September 18th, Malmö, November 13th, and Amsterdam, November 13th. And in Chicago, we have user trainings on November 13th and 14th, and December 3rd and 4th. Also, in order to go uh, the certification trainings, you need to have done this uh, preparatory course that you do online. So, hope to see you in any of these trainings. Thank you for listening. For feedback, tips and questions, you can email us at pimtalk at inriver.com or message us at pimtalkpodcast at Twitter. Please, if you like the show, go into iTunes and give us a good review. And if you would like to see some behind-the-scenes material, bloopers and live streams, you can follow PimTalk on Instagram. See you again in two weeks. Bye. Let's talk about him.